0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to our January 9th, 2016 edition of That Provident Article, our Convention of States podcast. We are going to get right to it this morning. We have an interview which takes the entire show. We're going to be interviewing Ben Stratman, who is the Chief of Staff for Texas State Senator Brian Birdwell. We've built a great relationship with Ben and with his entire staff in Senator Birdwell's office. And without further ado, we're going to start that interview would like to know some basics about you, how you got involved in politics, and specifically how you got involved in working with Senator Birdwell.
1: Well, thanks, Paul. I'm uh, really looking forward to our conversation here together today. Uh, So sure, I I got involved in uh, Texas state politics really uh, from a a family friend. I'd grown up a a former uh, boyfriend of uh, my sister, who's uh, six years older than me, had worked in Governor Perry's office and interned uh, for Governor Perry for a long time, and actually then got brought on to First Lady Anita Perry's staff. Uh, this was back in 2003 that he got brought on. And in 2004, he said, you know, come out, uh, try an internship. Let's see uh, see what you think of it. I think you might be a fit for this. And I kind of thought he was a little crazy, but I tried it and had a little bit of fun working in the, the governor's economic development office. I did that in 2004 and then tried it one more time in 2005 and worked in the communications shop for uh, then Agriculture Commissioner Todd Staples. Enjoyed that. So I dove back into the pool one more time and tried the federal uh, uh, route and worked for Senator Kay Bailey Hutchinson in 2006. Um, after that and after graduating college, I, I went on and got a job with a lieutenant governor, former lieutenant governor, David Dewhurst, uh, began work for him in early, uh, very early 2009, was with him for about two and a half years, uh, then eventually joined uh, Senator Birdwell's staff in January of 2011 uh became his chief of staff in 2012 uh about May of 2012 and that is the uh the role I currently maintain and I have really enjoyed it and uh, it's been a a good opportunity to work for a good guy
0: anything else in your background you know did you just jump in out of the blue or do you have some some schooling background some education that pointed you in this direction
1: well I'll tell you what When I was at Texas State University, I'm a proud Bobcat, uh, and an Austin native, so just down the road, but when I was at Texas State, I ended up studying political science and public relations, I did a double major, and you know, I'd like to tell you, Paul, uh, some flowery story about how I got involved and, and the educational background that I have that prepared me to do this, but I'll be honest with you. Uh, politics is sort of a uh, sort of an interesting game. It's uh, politics and policy alike, the two of which uh, often overlap. Um, you don't have to have a particular degree or, or education level. It's really about getting in and being willing to learn and understand uh, the processes and how things work. The uh, best example I can give you is you know, we're working on an issue uh, this week in, in Falls County. Uh, well, you know Falls County, of course. We've had some uh, some water containment and uh, contamination issues down in Falls County. And had you told me 10 years ago that I'd be working on a, an issue related to uh, water skid pumping and uh, dechlorination and things like that, I, I would have looked at you like you had two heads coming out of your neck. But you really kind of learned to go with the flow, uh, if you'll forgive the pun, and, and uh get involved in a bunch of different uh, 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 varieties of policy areas and political areas and really just be open to trying to be a sponge and taking as much information as you can. So I guess to, to the question about, you know, how I got in and the education aspect of it, I, I I did what I did in college and then really just tried to open my ears and my eyes and, and do a whole lot of learning in between. And I've done okay so far, Not certainly not the best, but hopefully not the worst.
0: Well, and that's certainly the foundation of representative politics, right? Where we they are representing people who are experiencing life across the gamut, not just in one little focused area. So you end up having to do things like that. Learn about what's going on in this particular person's circumstance or geographical area. That makes sense? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I get a different answer on this question depending on who I ask, because it really depends on how a staff Runs and how a, a legislator <laughs> runs their office. So, the responsibilities of, of a senator's chief of staff, and it, this is going to be from your perspective, obviously.
1: Sure. So you're exactly right, Paul. Every office is different, and of course, even outside of our particular offices within the 31 state senators in Texas, it becomes different in uh, different levels of government too. The chief of staff or a state representative versus a United States uh, a member of the United States House of Representatives or a United States senator, it's all very different. Um, you know, in our particular office, my job as chief of staff for Senator Birdwell first and foremost involves guiding our staff and uh, we have uh, in our lowest points we have a uh, between six and seven staff members and sort of the quieter non-session seasons, if you will. And then in our peak points, typically during the legislative session, uh, counting our district offices and committee offices to which Brian's been assigned, uh, and and interns and and scholars uh, and alike, we've got typically between 14 and 15 people that I'm trying to uh, herd like cats. And so that's sort of my number one job is to make sure that everybody, uh, from the interns all the way up to our our senior-most staff, are doing their job to uh, fulfill their functions and serve the citizens of Senate District 22. So that's, that's my number one priority. Um, Very close second priority after that sort of becomes the, the man of a thousand hats. Um, I I serve as Senator Birdwell's uh, right-hand man, if you will. Um, I, you know, I, whether it's, just the little things like uh, communicating on a, a daily basis multiple times a day on the telephone and, and talking through issues big and small all the way up to the major issues like making sure that we've got, uh, you know, appropriate uh, paperwork filed and and uh, uh you know processes uh, undertaken. I kind of wear all the different hats that he needs me to wear to cover a lot of different areas and issues and try to serve as as his counselor um is his you know senior advisor and um you know probably the biggest role there, especially during the legislative session is I have to play devil's advocate a lot uh, we have a in our office a legislative director who is uh brian's uh, number two staff member and and uh, you know and of course you've met her before and Anna's job is to uh, cover all the policy areas and make recommendations and obviously manage the policy staff. And then my job when we review those issues before any votes come up is to, uh, like I said, play devil's advocate and try to find as many holes uh, in an issue as I can to make certain that before we go out and he casts a vote, he's known – every side of an, uh, of an issue, every angle of an issue, and really how it's going to affect the people that he serves, not just in his district, but also in the state as a whole. And that's something that's really important to him. It's, it's part of my job that I take pretty seriously. So I'd say those are, those are kind of the two, two or three big things that I do.
0: Okay. Um, I'm going to follow up on that, really, a, a couple things. First sure. of all, as far as just your, your staff, uh, I just want to say this public, publicly. Your staff is Unbelievable.
1: <laughs> um, and, and we've told
0: that we've told that to Brian before as well, and and especially uh, Megan and Liz who are like right at the front. And you know, I, I think I think Megan is probably your guy's secret weapon as the doorkeeper there, the gatekeeper. She's pretty darn in, good. But, because I can't imagine, and I I know I'm sure you get people who get fairly irate about some issue, but I just can't imagine them still being irate after they speak with her.
1: <laughs> she she does have a calming temperament. No, you, you, I appreciate you saying that, Paul. That that means a lot. I know to Senator Burwell, and it certainly means a lot to me for having you know hired the the overwhelming majority. In fact, only only two of our folks remaining on staff are people that I uh, have not uh, hired. And so, yeah, it's it's a great team. A really. Uh, a really tightly knit team. Uh, we, we are a lot like a family and uh, or, or a military unit, as Senator Birdwell likes to say, and uh, we, we work very cohesively together. We're fortunate, uh, and I think, frankly, if I may be so bold, the, the citizens of Senate District 22 are fortunate to have a great team like this um, doing what Brian's having them do uh, on a day-in and day-out basis. We're We're real lucky.
0: Well, I can just say as a constituent it is – it is very apparent, and having gone through multiple offices at the Capitol, um, your staff is is outstanding, just just outstanding. Um, well, I love hearing that. I also wanted, to, yeah, I, I also wanted to follow up on the playing the devil's advocate. What are some of the things you do to uh, bone up for that, to, to study up? How how am I going to be able to challenge, you know, Senator Birdwell and some of the ideas that he might hear?
1: Sure, that's a great question, Paul. Um, again. It really is the devil's advocate role. Um, Like I said, what I've got to do is, I mean, let's take any issue. Um, You know, let's say it's an issue on, uh, we'll take water policy. We sort of talked about that briefly on on what's going on in Marlin and Falls County. You take a water policy issue, well, you know, we can look at a water policy issue and and really look, and let's say we've got something in Hill County, just south of you uh, as a resident of Johnson County. You look at Hill County and you've got Lake Whitney, a Corps of Engineers lake up there. And we can really uh, uh, tightly narrow our focus onto, okay, how is this issue, how is this legislation going to impact Hill County and the people surrounding Lake Whitney? But then we've got to be able to take a step back and say, well, how is that going to affect also everyone in the district? And then really you have to take a further step back and look and say, are we making the right decision for the state of Texas as well? Um, Obviously, his first and foremost priority are the citizens of Senate District 22, but um he takes very seriously the uh, the role and responsibility that comes of one of uh, of only thirty one senators in the state to make sure that he's not uh taking a vote that is going to negatively impact the rest of the state um It's his job to to represent uh, the state along with those other senators and so when coming back to your question about my job and, and and boning up to be the devil's advocate, I really have to look at all the possible uh pros and cons of every issue and try to think of uh, uh, what we could not be seeing, what we could be missing, and making sure we've looked at all the angles to make sure that's the right vote. A lot of times when it's legislation of his own, if he's pursuing a, a particular bill or an amendment and pushing an issue, uh, the devil's advocate role becomes even more important because I try to prepare him for the debate by putting myself in the shoes of uh, of an opponent of his whether it's a democrat or a republican or or uh, maybe both uh, an opponent on an issue and try to think through every possible question or or uh, inquiry that they might have an argument they might make and prepare him to be able to push back on that with with the facts and the data that we have that support the good le- legislation that he puts forward so it's a it's a tough job but it's a
0: really important one too okay this is a perfect segue going into the next next section of course with this is a convention of states podcast so we're going to we're going to start narrowing our focus there senator birdwell four years ago and and you began with his staff in 2011 he was opposed to the article 5 bill that came up i I assume it was probably a balanced budget bill i know i I know i read through some of the actual uh discussion during that session I, i went ahead and pulled up some of that discourse that was going on and it um there was actually pretty good defense for Article 5 by the uh, previous senator who was in that district. Um, but Senator Birdwell was on the side in opposition, but he has changed his mind. So from your perspective and seeing him, what was it that brought him to support Article 5 process in general, and specifically he came on board with our Convention of States resolution this year? Sure, uh, that's, a, that's a great question.
1: Something, something Certainly I, I know a lot about having dealt with him on it. So I guess I think it's important to look back to four years ago when, uh, yes, you are technically uh, spot on. He was opposed to the idea of calling the Convention of States, but he wasn't hardline against it. And, in fact, quite the opposite. I was actually looking back uh, in, in preparation for our discussion and kind of picking my own brain, looking back at, at some uh, constituent communication. And I found a letter that he wrote to one of our constituents in Ellis County, uh, obviously just to your uh, to your east uh, looking back at, at quite a lengthy letter that he wrote to this constituent, in which he basically stated, in my words, not his, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, we're damn close to the edge of the cliff, but we're not there yet. And I think that's sort of the mentality he had at the time, which was, you know, let's, let's be real careful about this. I think a lot of people, and certainly not just Senator Burwell, but I'm sure people you run into every day, Paul, that you talk to, a lot of folks hear about this process, and there's sort of this natural aversion to something so uh, so unknown and so intangible. This is such a big deal. And opening up the Constitution uh, for change, it, it kind of feels a lot like brain surgery. It's kind of like, boy, if you absolutely have to, I'll support you, but I really don't want you opening up my, my brain unless you have to because it's so sensitive and so much could go wrong. So I, I think, you know, as, as you personally know, Paul, where where he's at now, um, he has come around on this issue and, and uh, moved just to the other side of the fence because, like I said, he was never a hard line against it. He's come around to the other side of the issue because I, I think, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but in my view it, it, it appears that he sees that we don't have the luxury of sort of crossing our fingers and, and hoping Washington is going to get this governing thing right. Uh, you know, frankly, too much has gone wrong uh too consistently and, and for too many years. Um you know, as a twenty year veteran of the army, he's got all these military sayings. You've you've heard him many times before and you've heard us tease with him before, but he's got all of his military analogies and sayings and one that he almost always uses when he talks about the Article five issue is that you never take a weapon system off the table. And what he means by that is if you take something off the table, if you say we won't do the following, this is our line in the sand and this is where we will stop fighting, your enemy or uh, your your opposition knows to go just one step further than that. And so, you know, he, he looks at this issue and thinks, okay, if we push back against the idea of even giving the states the opportunity to lawfully call for a convention, we've basically flat out told Washington, hey, we are openly and and blatantly throwing away our only option to get you back in line with the demands of the men and women who elected you, and I just don't think that Senator Burwell believes that that we can do that, and that that's a good
0: idea. Okay, I, I think you wrap up pretty much the way he he spoke before the uh, State Affairs Committee when he so eloquently defended uh, Article Five in general, but really he was defending his own bill at that point, the uh, accountability mm-hmm. bill. But um, you know, it all kind of got lumped in together in that. Uh, fairly crazy hearing we had <laughs> a fun uh, anyway, day a fun uh, day <laughs> <laughs> it was an interesting day um we'll have more interesting days and that all, that's all right um i'm i'm going to make it a little general now and then we'll jump back into convention state specifically but this has to do with the group that that we're with and and just constituents and grassroots in general some advice you might share for someone trying to persuade a legislator you know Good practices, effective practices, and and those which are really ineffective.
1: Oh, that's a great question, Paul. Um, that's a really good question. So, like I said at the beginning of our conversation, I've been doing this for for what seems like quite a while. Certainly not as long as as some of my colleagues, but uh, it's it's uh, been a whirlwind ride, and I've seen and learned a lot, and been on both sides of of issues. Um, so practices that are most effective and least effective. So let, we'll we'll start with the positive. Um, Best ways to be effective. Number one way, without question, nothing compares. Politeness. Be polite. Um, a lot of these folks who are in my job, and certainly the ones who are in, in positions maybe a little bit lower down the food chain, that you know, the, the policy analysts and the people that um, that sort of are the, the gatekeepers and the front lines, whether it's it's Megan or a policy analyst or anyone like that, folks come in and they're upset about an issue, they're passionate about an issue, which they absolutely have every right to be but they don't have a right to be rude to somebody who has no influence on uh, a particular issue. Um, At the end of the day, Senator Burwell or whomever the elected official is, is responsible for casting the votes that impact policy, that impact constituents. The staff does not. And so you'd be really surprised, I'm afraid as to how often we have people really be quite rude and that's just tough that's not a fun environment to be in and so that's one of the best ways to get yourself in the door and to start a good conversation is just by coming in respectfully and politely big deal um after that some of the some of the you know secondary things that are almost as important um brevity uh, as you know, Paul, you've been down here and you've been such a great advocate for the Convention of States and not only Johnson County but for, for the state of Texas as a whole. You spend a lot of time down at the Capitol and you know firsthand, I don't have to try and uh, exaggerate, you know how crazy it gets down here. You know how many hours a day we're working. You know that some of us are uh, eating many dinners and breakfasts here and, and and occasionally sleeping in our offices. It's wild during the legislative session. And so brevity is a huge asset Uh, to come armed with so that you can get your point across and be able to do it quickly. And someone says, wow, thank you for not taking 30 minutes of my time, which during a legislative session, uh, 30 minutes is is the world. So brevity is great. Uh, Sticking to facts, uh, going back to sort of those military uh, axioms and and maxims that the the senator always likes to use, he loves to say we fight our battles with facts, not with emotion. And so, you know, come in and, and tell us, Give us some data. Give us some facts. Give us some things that are not fungible, that are not um, uh, um, you know intangibles. Give us some things that are true data, and we can look at it and say, wow, okay, this makes sense. This backs up what you're trying to convince me of. Uh, in that same vein, um, uh, flyers are what we often call in, in our industry, our world, uh, leave-behinds. Print something out that summarizes your whole issue, or if you want to be brief in your talking points, keep it short, but give me a document that's maybe a little bit longer, and I can read that when it's good for me to read it. Uh, that data that I can hang on to and look at at a later date is very important. So so summarize things, put it in writing, and, and leave it with uh, the staff person when you talk to them. And, of course, in that same vein, again, because the time is so crazy – patience. Uh, if you drop something off with a staff member or with a legislator, uh, you've got to understand the reality is they're not going to read it in the next 30 minutes. It's just not going to happen. And so when you're calling on the phone two hours later and saying, hey, where are you on this issue? Where are you on this issue? You're getting ahead of everybody. So being patient, never anything wrong with following up, especially when you guys like you and your group have always done so, so respectfully, following up and saying, hey, just checking in, want to hear about this, um, You know, see where you are on it, a polite follow-up, nothing wrong with that. But just you know, being patient and trying to understand how, how busy it is and how tough it is to cover the issues that are going to impact the 809,000 constituents in, in uh, the general uh, Senate districts. That's how many Brian has in his in particular. Um, negative or ineffective or, or uh, practices, I would say um, sort of the opposite of what I closed with on the positive practices, urgency. Don't come in and rush people. Um, If it's truly a rush and there's a vote happening in the next 30 minutes, there's some merit for that, although we would certainly hope you would have been in the door a little bit sooner and not uh, banging it down, you know, 30 minutes before a vote. But if something's not coming up for a vote in the next 30 minutes or, heck, even in the next day, don't come in and rush people. It stresses everybody out. And, again, there's a lot going on. So, again, patience is good. Uh, Another practice that's not super effective is bringing in huge groups Now, that may seem counterintuitive to some of your listeners and and to people in general to think, well, why wouldn't I want to bring bring in a big group? If if I bring in 75 people that say they support the Convention of States, that's a lot better than one person coming in. Well – Yes and no. If you can give me a list of 75 signatures or get 75 people to send an email, that's great. If you bring in 75 people, then we're basically standing in a big, uh, uh, you know, scrum out in the hallway trying to talk to a whole bunch of different people and yell in different directions. It's a lot more effective if you bring a very small group in, preferably one, two, three, maybe four people at the absolute most, and have them be ambassadors for your cause and be able to represent that large group, and then tell us how many people are in your group. So big groups can be very difficult, especially because, as you know, our offices are not big. And the last one I guess I would say is, uh, for lack of a better word, Paul, uh, intimidation. Um, Again, you you may be surprised to hear this again because your group has always been so polite and respectful, but we do have people who come in and straight out of the gate, their tactic is, um, you know, such-and-such will never be elected again if he doesn't do this. I won't vote for this person if he doesn't do that. I'll go to the paper if he does this. You know, threatening is no way to go about communicating uh, uh, your issue or advocating for your policy. It's the same thing as the politeness issue. Don't come in and do that. You know, all that's going to do is stress out the staff person. They can't force the hand of the legislator. Come in and tell them how passionate you are about an issue, how important it is to you, and how it's an issue that you focus on when you're going to the polls to think about electing your respective congressman, senator, whomever it may be, and tell them you're passionate about it. But don't come in and and start out with a threat or an intimidation tactic. That doesn't help anybody, and it's no way to go about, you know, communicating with your legislator's office. So I'd say that's kind of the summary of, of the, the good and bad tactics to take.
0: Ben, that's, that's terrific. I want a, a point of clarification on one just to make sure the the listeners aren't a little confused. Uh, when you talk about bringing in numbers, we're talking about coming into an office, but when it comes to going to a, a committee hearing or something, that's not a problem to bring numbers in at that point and at least show, even if they don't all testify, because that might be overboard. You can direct us on that. Uh, but at least the, the hearing room is packed. They really do have a lot of support statewide, right, on an issue. It, is that a valid point? That's a great follow-up question, Paul. So,
1: so yes and no. Uh, a little different than the offices because you you were in the first part of your question. Uh, you're correct. I, I am talking about offices and how if you want to bring. You know, 75 is perhaps a bit exaggerative, but if you really, if you do come down and you hop on a bus with 20, 25 people, it's very difficult to get all those people into an office, and so you end up taking a meeting in the hallway, and it's just not efficient. But when it comes to committee hearings, I would say yes and no to your question. So I, I tell you this, get as many people in there as you can. You're absolutely right. If it's four or five degrees warmer than it should be because there's bodies packed shoulder to shoulder in the back of the room, legislators take notice of that, no doubt about it. Now, when it comes to testimony, kind of like I said about, uh, you know, having one or two or three or four representatives from your group in a meeting with a legislator, testimony is similar. You always want to have everybody sign up and put in their position. And as you know, because you've done it before, you can check a card lo- uh, listing your name, uh, location or your you know place of residence, et cetera, and your position on a bill. And that will be read into the record. So that way they go name after name after name and hear, wow, all these people are in support of something or in opposition of something. Having them all testify, I'm not going to tell you it's not effective because that wouldn't be true, but you definitely, if if you come with a big group, you want to have a couple of of, uh, ambassadors, a couple of tips of the spear, so to speak, to really advocate succinctly and concisely and factually uh, on behalf of your issue so that way you don't have two or three dozen people coming up and saying the exact same thing with just slightly different words.
0: So, yeah. All right. That's helpful now uh, you've covered a lot about what would is most effective means from the convention of states and, the, and information sheer number of support obviously we have numbers out there which are astronomical compared to most issues consistency reminder you know we we remind consistently by by calling up and you know i, I we try and stay in contact not every day but you know couple couple you know every couple months you guys re- remember us thinking about us that's where we're headed. Uh is that accurate?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's always great to keep a pulse on there. You don't want to disappear in June at the end of the legislative session and then come knocking on a legislator's door in January, uh you know, 18 months later. That's not a great way to keep in touch. Communicate during the interim, communicate year round and and talk with your folks, make sure you're calling them, emailing them, reaching out. Occasionally go visit. Just like you said, I think that's great. And, you know, just make sure that you uh, you always want to do it respectfully and, and politely, but make sure you push and try to get the answers uh, that you're asking for. It can be tough sometimes to get a staff member to commit to something, but you always want to try and get an answer out of your, your legislator. Our office policy, as directed by Senator Birdwell from day one, has always been that we give people truthful answers as quickly and as politely as we can. Now, people don't always like that. Uh, some people don't like that policy because they get a no if they want a yes, and we tell them quickly. But the way we see it, the faster we can give you an answer on an issue, you either know where we are or you know where you need to try to get us to be. And so communicating with uh, your legislators and, and staying on top of them in a polite but firm uh, manner,
0: that's the best way to go. How can we best help you? And that question is is kind of leading to, since we can't do any endorsing of actual, actual candidates or, or elected officials, Um are there things we can do to help show up at at any event? If if the if our legislator knows that uh, there's going to be an opposition group there, uh, is that something that's helpful? That you know, you know what? Can you bring some folks down to to help support because this issue may come up and there may be some opposition there from another you know. And there are some conservative groups that oppose us. You know, sure. it, it would be nice to have some of your folks there. Is is that something that that you would A, know, know beforehand that that might happen, and then B, you would, you would try and perhaps contact us and we can try and, and get some folks out there.
1: I think that's definitely a possibility. Of course, it's always tough to know ahead of time if a group's going to come and loudly oppose an issue, but I think definitely uh, gathering your folks to support an issue if you know there's opposition coming is a great idea. I'll answer your question a little differently, too, in saying you're you're asking sort of broadly how you can help and support in in our office and general issues. The best thing that you all can keep doing that you do a great job of now, Paul, is educating people on the process. You would be shocked at how many people – uh, uh, call us up and, and ask questions about federal issues or local issues, and we have to clarify our level of government at the state uh, the state level. So making sure people understand that process and how we can best help them is really good. It's good for them, and it's good for us too.
0: The thing that you said also during this that we need to be better at, and maybe we portray ourselves as being patient, it's extremely difficult to be patient. Oh, sure it is. Oh, <laughs> uh, sure it we, is. We, and and I will I will relay that to the entire to our entire statewide team and everyone that that the, first of all this is a long process we there are people who think that you file a bill and and it's done and it's like oh we we hit thirty four we should be having a convention and you don't realize a you got all the steps you got to go through just to get a bill passed but b even after that we've got years it's gonna this is gonna be a years long process because there's gonna be education. Once a convention gets called, and then you got to go through ratification, and we're going to have to be patient. It's going to be worthwhile, but it's not going to be. You're not going to quick fix it quick. Not going to happen. That's
1: right. And when I say patience, of course, that you take that with a grain of salt. Patience to. Patience to an appropriate degree. I mean, you don't. It's not a. It's not a patience issue of like, okay, I I sent an email, you know, two months ago, and I can't get a response, and I've sent follow-ups. That's not you being impatient. That's just someone not responding to you. Patience in the sense of, it's more like pause. Try to think about, you know, what exactly is is on the plate of the person or persons you're dealing with, and think, okay, is is it realistic that they could have replied to me by now? Yes. Is it, you know, can I wait another day or two? And if you can, you know, give them a little more time. Just patience like that just because it gets crazy. And, of course, it's a little different during the interim. There's, you know, there's a lot going on for, you know, I'm not trying to toot my arm, but there's a lot going on for people like me who, you know, do a lot of stuff, not only as, as the chief of staff but also doing political stuff for Brian.
0: And again, we want to give our special thanks to Ben Stratman for giving us his time in this interview. We will be back next week with another interview. Next week, we'll be speaking with Stuart Pollan to volunteer for the Convention of States from Florida. Great interview. I encourage you to stand by and listen for that.